relax, you got nothing to lose What do you think I'm about to show you? The female of the species is more deadly than a male Show me a movie, you can say it again Just wait till you see what I did at the end The female of the species is more deadly than a male Hello everyone and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women, which prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast where we celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in a space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host Rachel, and joining me is the the chaos gremlin herself, <laughs> the one and only Ariel. Ariel, what are you up to, girl? Hi. I like that the nickname for my cats has now been, like, now I'm that. That's Well, awesome. it's kind of like the... You know how like, people say people start looking like their pets? Uh-huh. I don't think you look like either of your pets, but you know, like you've taken <laughs> on other traits, <laughs> chaos traits. <laughs> oh, so what's I wish going I could on? Say that true. Uh, honestly, not too much. Not too much. But no, no chaos in the chaos in the chaos uh, kingdom over there. <laughs> no, not too much. Um, they're still showing the apartment upstairs, and so far there haven't been any takers so Hmm. do you think maybe your plot worked i'm hoping so but one of our patrons samantha christ shout out to them if they're around okay listening uh, had had suggested that we i go forward with like your bed bug plan Mm. and like put notices on this door but like also other places too around the complex and really Uh uh try to drive that point home so right I think I'm going to try it. I mean, it can't hurt, right? As long as I don't get caught. Exactly. That's the key. Yeah. I will tell you that people are getting... The reason I'm joking at you being a chaos demon is literally this. And the fact that it has struck a chord with the audience. Oh, really? (laughs) Not only has Samantha Christ offered suggestions, but we have an email from a listener (gasps) who wanted me to pass on some other... Okay, yeah. I want to hear it. To add a little verisimilitude to the Operation (laughs) Bedbug, okay? Which is what we will be calling it now. Okay. Okay. So this comes from Jerome. Mm. Uh, He says, Rachel, not sure if this is true, but having recently helped two people find new apartments, a strong scent of cardamom can indicate a bed bug infestation in the building. Oh, shit. Oh right. my God. First of all, cardamom smells amazing. So yeah, this is, I had this no is idea. good chaos. This is like a net yeah. positive chaos because who doesn't want to smell cardamom, right? Right, right. This is according to landlords, social services, and medical personnel. Whoa. So, Jerome is not, he's not pulling this out of his butt. He has experts playing <laughs> in. Yes. Not that I'm suggesting anyone sprinkle spices on anyone hmm. else's doorstep. That would be wrong. <laughs> but no one can tell you what kind of spices to put in your dinner. <laughs> Best of luck, Jerome. <laughs> so, oh what God, do you think? I love that. Yeah. Chaos. Hold on. Best of luck, JP. All right. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. <laughs> what do you that think? Is, 
I think that is a great tip. It never would have occurred to me. Mm-mm. But if I can make the bed bug story more realistic, I feel like right? that can only benefit me. Especially if making it more realistic just means increasing the volume of your baked goods. Yeah, for sure. I can find stuff to make with cardamom. Yeah. I mean, apparently in Sweden, all of all of the pastries have, instead of cinnamon, have cardamom in them. So, like, instead of cinnamon rolls, they're like cardamom rolls. And I'm just saying, I would not be sad if I were to somehow (laughs) get some baked cardamom rolls. I'm, you know... (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm like 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 JP. I am not trying. I am not uh, uh-huh. saying you should sprinkle. Right. Um, just bake with it. Okay. It, okay. So, I mean, it, but you might also. Sp- I don't. I mean, maybe you both. Know, call them A. Call them B. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think between the signs and the scent, you have a compelling case for keeping for, somebody out. Right. For bed bugs without there actually being bed bugs. Yeah. All right. Because who wants to move into a place with bed bugs? I feel like that could really work. Yep. All right. So listen. <laughs> I'm going to try it. <laughs> between our buddies over at Trick or Treat Radio. Yes. <laughs> and now Samantha Christ and now JP. We like <laughs> it. You know, it's very rare you get to watch a like a movement rise oh, from, right. from like a oh groundswell from the very beginning. But here we are. Operation <laughs> Bad Bug. <laughs> I appreciate everyone's help because, guys, I can't do another, like, year of some crazy person living upstairs for me, okay? No, I, I need no. a break. I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. So let's talk about, speaking of chaos gremlins, let's talk about a family and I'm talking about the fictional one, not the real one, mm-hmm. <laughs> of major chaos makers. We are going to be talking about a little film that we have been dying to see oh my God. ever since we first learned about it. Where? Right here on the podcast. Yeah! We interviewed them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to be talking about Where the Devil Roams, directed by Zelda Adams, Toby Poser, and John Adams. The third horror film from our favorite family of horror filmmakers, the Adams family. Oh, uh, God, I am so excited. <laughs> this is a p- episode years in the making. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you say we get into? You telling me a little bit about the, like, a little background on the directors, any information you have about the filmmaking, um, and then we'll take it from there. Sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. First, I just want to give you guys a little spoiler warning in case this is the first time that you're listening to our show. So I'm, like Rachel said, going to tell you about the director and the making of the movie, and then we are going to give you a little non-spoiler review, Mm -hmm. and then Rachel's going to give you a warning, and at that point, we're going to talk about the whole movie and any twists or kills or whatever. So if that's something that would bother you, you can go watch this on VOD and then come back. And I highly recommend that you do. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. Tell me about the Adams Adams Poser family. Okay. So we have covered two of the Adams family movies in the past, The Deeper You Dig and Hellbender. So for those of you who listened to those episodes and have a very good memory, some of what I'm going to tell you today is going to be a little bit familiar, but I have some new information too. So stick with me. All right, so Where the Devil Roams is directed by the Adams family, which is made up of Toby Poser and John Adams, who are the parents, and Zelda Adams, the youngest daughter. And then their oldest daughter, Lulu Adams, is also involved, but mostly as an actor these days. Mm-hmm. 
So because our pod focuses on women identified directors, I'm going to talk much more about <laughs> Zelda and Toby and a little less about John. Sorry, John. <laughs> we love you, John. <laughs> yeah, we think you're awesome, too. <laughs> All right. So Toby Poser got her BFA from Tulane University, and then she moved to New York to pursue acting. So first, she acted in off-Broadway plays. And then in the 90s, she spent three years working on the soap opera The Guiding Light, mm. where she played a villainous character named Amanda Spaulding, who was a madam. Oh, so spicy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was quoted as saying, if you're going to be on a soap, you want to be the bad girl, which I wholeheartedly agree. agree. I think that would be the most Heart. fun role. Who the hell wants to be America's sweetheart on a soap opera? No, I want to be like no. the bad guy who like maybe kills somebody, finds out I have a long lost twin, you know, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. <laughs> a little demon possession. You know, yeah, like all the of good stuff. Yeah, of yeah. <laughs> so her first feature film role was actually in the lesbian classic and one of Rachel's formative movies, The Incredible True Story <sighs> of true. Two Girls in Love, which came I out in 1995. <laughs> I love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah. Around that same time, she also did a few episodes of the different Law and Order shows. She did nice. some voice acting and cool. she was in an episode of Sex in the City called The Baby Shower. Yep. Iconic episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so later, she ended up moving to L.A. with her husband, John, after he got a role in a TV show. But then jobs for her sort of started drying up. She was struggling to find work as an actor. And at this point, she was in her late 30s. And she kind of felt like she wasn't sure where she was going to get her next role. She started to get frustrated. Yeah. So John suggested that she write her own script. <laughs> which yeah. is a great idea because she did. And then they bought an old RV, took their kids, Zelda and Lulu, who were six and 11 at the time, out of school. They drove around the country for a year filming their first feature film. So cool. And then in 2013, they released it. It's called Rumble Stripes. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, Zelda was actually keen on becoming an actor because she had just seen Twilight and wanted to be like Kristen Stewart. <laughs> I would say she's surpassed her. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love Case too, but I yeah. mean, it's a very different vibe. <laughs> so that was the start of their production company, Wonder Wheel Productions. And when making their films, they write them, they direct them, they star in them, but they also operate the cameras, mix the sound, compose the score, do all of the editing. Essentially, the only things they don't do themselves are some of the makeup and the digital effects. Cool. Very, yeah. very cool. I'm actually surprised that they don't do literally every <laughs> single <I know>. thing. <laughs> After Rumble Strips, they made three more films before creating a horror short film called The Hatred in 2018. It's about an orphaned young girl who conjures an executed soldier back from the dead, and together they deliver hell in the Blackfoot territory of the late 1800s. Do you know if it's watchable anywhere? I really so, want to see it. I really want to see it too. You can't find it online, but when they released uh, The Deeper You Dig on like Blu-ray, that came as an extra. Ooh. So I kind of want to get my hands on that release of that yes. movie. Yeah. See, this is where we need Netflix to have like <laughs> physical media again. I know. I know. <laughs> Wonder what, yeah. I mean, I think we'll just have to buy it. We'll just buy it. We'll buy it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do some Google into the ICP. Okay, get my good. greedy little raccoon paws on a, a Blu-ray of that because now I really <laughs> need to see it. 
So in a recent interview with Ghouls Magazine, um, Toby actually said of making that first horror short that it was kind of like meeting your lover. You know, they had made all of these films before that, but they Uh had been more dramas. And this was the first horror thing that they had done. So next in 2019, they made their first feature length horror movie called The Deeper You Dig. We reviewed that one on episode 16. If you want to go back and listen. Yeah, talk about meeting your lover. We were like, who are they? This is amazing. Oh, my God. (laughs) Exactly. We were hooked. Yeah. (laughs) So this was the first time where Zelda started to have a bigger hand in making the movies. In Mm -hmm. The Deeper You Dig, she is credited as the assistant director and co-cinematographer, and she and her dad took turns operating the camera for that movie. Awesome. When Poser was promoting The Deeper You Dig, she did an interview with Sci-Fi Wire where she talked about the lack of roles for women her age. Mm. And she said, quote, I've been able to play a bunch of different roles, but nothing quite as grungy as this. I actually liken our films to the antithesis of something glamorous. It's important for me to represent women who look like me. If I were out there in the casting world, I would probably be limited in what I could play. But with our films, I can do whatever the fuck I want. If anything, I want to embrace my wrinkles, my gray. And I'm lucky I can do that in our films. I can portray people who look just like me. I mean, we'll get into it in this movie. But the character she plays is like, yeah, I'm so glad she's writing her own things because it is not a character that gets written. No. <laughs> no. It is. I'm going to sing some praises later. Just yeah. a little foreshadow for you. <laughs> Maggie is amazing. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> I'm in love. <laughs> All right. So then last year, they made their sixth feature film and second horror movie, Hellbender, which we oh, also yeah. loved. <laughs> This time, Zelda was a co-director and writer alongside her parents. We reviewed this one on episode 51 with our good friend Elizabeth Kyle. Mm -hmm. And if you go back through our feed, the very next episode after that is our interview with the entire entire family. So I encourage you to listen to both of those episodes if you want to hear more about them. Oh, so fun that one of my favorite things about that moment was watching like I, they are in a constant state of creativity I know and we watched a moment of them like having a creative sort of inspiration in it was real time so cool. <laughs> it was rad yeah it was really really cool and I was like they just cannot stop being creative and thinking in those terms and it's no. fascinating it's fat- fascinating to witness and, oh, yeah. and exciting to witness mm-hmm. yeah I don't think there is any kind of like shortage of new ideas in no. the family <laughs> no, no. <laughs> writer's block don't know or never matter right <laughs> So now outside of making movies, Zelda is actually going to Columbia University. Mm -hmm. And in 2021, she signed with Elite Models. She has since been on the cover of Vogue's Grease Beauty Edition. She was in Interloper Magazine. She's modeled for Ralph Lauren and Walk the Runway for Gucci. So she's doing really well there, too. So she, because you know what she needs? Another job. I know. (laughs) Doing like nine jobs on a film and also being a college student. That's not enough. Right. (laughs) Wow. That's incredible. Good for her. That is really, really cool. She's such an interesting person and like uh, living such an extraordinary life. I know. It's, It's joyful. It's very cool to see somebody just absolutely thriving the way that she is that and yeah. we root so so hard for each and yes. every one of them <laughs> that's super super cool all right so that brings us to where the devil roams which is their seventh film 
So they were inspired by films like Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, which apparently is a German expressionist thriller that Toby okay. says is her favorite movie. Okay. Um, Going to need to see that. Yeah. <laughs> Vampire, Nosferatu, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, and Frankenstein, mm-hmm. all of which I feel like make a lot of sense once you watch the movie. Yeah. I would throw in The Devil's Rejects, but I'll get into that. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> all right. But the actual inception point for this movie was Zelda having nightmares about clowns growing up oh. after watching that carnival season of American Horror Story. Oh, uh-huh. That would do it. I mean, that, that clown was really creepy. So yeah. I get yeah, it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. after having these nightmares, one day, I guess she was sitting in the car with her dad and she kind of said out loud, like she wondered... What if the clown wasn't actually the bad guy? Mm -hmm. And from there, her parents kind of ran with that idea. And eventually, it ended up being about carnival workers and not really a clown. But that was kind of the starting point of their inspiration. Very cool. I mean, and this is some. it was interesting watching this because there's some visual moments that feel very much like a callback to the deeper you dig specifically around (laughs) the clown design. Yeah, I have that in my notes because that's exactly what I felt too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I was like, Easter egg for the real thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in that same interview with Ghouls Magazine that I quoted from earlier, John was talking about how their films really follow the trajectory of their family. And I thought this was really interesting. Hmm. He said, all of our films are documentaries about where we are in life. The Deeper You Dig was about me and Toby with a 12-year-old girl. And you worry about them. You worry that something bad is going to happen to them. It's a strange age. That's what that film is about. If something did happen, how would you reach out spiritually to them? How would you find them? The next movie, Hellbender, was about Zelda becoming a woman. And then finally, this one is about Zelda becoming a successful creative person all on her own Mm -hmm. while her parents are getting older and we're trying to figure out how do we function now. She's going off as her own person. How do we function as a family, as a creative family? So interesting. I know. I hadn't really seen it, but now mm-hmm. hearing that, that makes absolute sense. Because, like, in all of these movies, she really is the heart yeah. of the film. And it's something – I remember we talked about this when I didn't know – when we watched The Deeper You Dig, you did the research for that. So I had no mm-hmm. idea that they were actually, like, a family of filmmakers. Right. And I remember being like, there's a version of this film where these two people fall in love because mm-hmm. you can feel sort of – the you chemistry can, between them. And... The chemistry and, like, the heart and the domesticity yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I think we're going to talk a lot about that in this film as well. That is so interesting. That makes absolute sense to me because it does – there is sort of this warmth and love throughout these incredibly dark I know, films. I know. That um, you feel is from their family. Yeah. Right. And it does kind of feel like a love letter to family and mm-hmm. to their daughters. And even though the the content is so dark and bleak, <laughs> there is this there is this un, and and something I kind of wanted to unpack when we talk about this is like how is it that there's such the movie is like aesthetically and content wise so dark and so cold and so brittle, and yet there is this warmth Mm -hmm. in it and i think i think this is it i think this is what it is is because it is sort of a an examination and a and a exploration of family and parenting that comes from a very actual real place not a not like a theoretical or an academic or intellectual way but like they are 
exploring something incredibly personal and like that's actually happening in their lives. And they think that is what is showing up underneath, like underpinning this. And that's what I'm sensing. And I, so that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and I think because they pull so much from their own experiences and their personal life. And also they've talked before about how like, you know, they'll be driving one of their kids to a soccer game and that's when they start talking about things that they're going to do in the movie, you know, like it all comes from this place of like family togetherness. And I think that shines through a lot. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so just like with Hellbender, they wrote and performed the songs in this film, too, with their family band that's also called Hellbender. So cool. I know the credits at the end when it was like, music by Hellbender, I was like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know, I'm very excited. (laughs) While I was doing the notes for this, I was listening to their album because I bought it on vinyl when the Hellbender album came out. And I'm really hoping that they do (laughs) the soundtrack for this one, too. I'm hoping they release it. That would be so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Manifesting, <laughs> manifesting. But if you are curious about their music, it's like all on Spotify. So you can go and listen to it. For sure. Definitely. So when they first started writing the songs for this film, they were actually trying to make them sound like they came from the 1920s. But mm. it wasn't really working. And they ended up deciding that it would be better to have modern music against these kind of vintage style images. They thought that mm-hmm. juxtaposition would work better. Yeah. Now, you may have noticed... Uh, that Where the Devil Roams has a bigger cast than any of the other movies of theirs that we've covered. Oh, yeah. Especially <laughs> Hellbender. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but finding the actors wasn't difficult because I guess they live in a very small town in the Catskills and uh-huh. everybody there knows them. And right. so they're always having people who come up to them saying, like, I want to be in your next movie. I want you guys to, like, kill me in your next film. Like, can I be in it? <laughs> so I mean, they, that would be a badge of honor, right? Right, right. By yeah. The Adamses. <laughs> yeah. So they finally just, like, took some of these people up on their offer. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I feel like the first film we reviewed, In Deeper You Dig, wasn't, like, the sheriff someone from the town as well? I think so. So, and like yeah. the people in the bar where people like actually that they yeah like, and they yeah. film like you know a lot of their movies in the Catskills when they aren't yeah. set somewhere else uh-huh. so their oldest daughter Lulu also acts in a very pivotal scene in this mm-hmm. movie that I'm sure you'll get to um, but Lulu's career path is kind of taking her in a different direction which is why she isn't quite as heavily involved in the filmmaking as Zelda is She ended up teaching English for a year in Korea and is now currently getting her master's degree in psychology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Oh, my favorite city in the world. I know. And I know. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, And I actually know that because I reached out to them to ask what Lulu was up to (laughs) (laughs) on social media. And they got back to me like hours later. It was very nice. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's great for her. Congratulations. Like, So cool. I mean, like I said, Edinburgh is actually literally my favorite city in the entire world. So that, listen, (laughs) leave it to Lulu to find the other thing that's as cool as making (laughs) your movies with your family. I know, I know. But that's very, I was, I'm not going to lie. I I was so excited when she showed up in this. Me too. You know what I mean? It's like you said, it's a pivotal scene that we're not going to spoil at this portion, you know, at this juncture of the podcast. But yeah, like when she showed up, I was like, it's the other sister. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So that's fun. That's really, really cool. So there are actually a couple of nude scenes in this film, including Uh a full frontal shot of John. And you may be asking... How did they film that with their daughters, Lulu and Zelda, both on set? 
So they actually asked them both to kind of skedaddle for the day <laughs> while they filmed that. Yeah. And then the final like image that you see in the movie, um, it's actually a composite shot. So like gotcha. they filmed Zelda separately and then gotcha. put it together Although, with I mean, movie some magic. Some families are naked families. You know oh, yeah. what I mean? Like my family was not a naked family and I probably have some hangups from that. <laughs> but like some families are just naked families. Oh, and, yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Who cares? <laughs> but also, yeah, I, I get why they're like, you know, maybe today is the day you guys just take a break. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So as for the reason for including nudity, Toby said this to Fangoria magazine, quote, we're all born naked. It's amazing how little we see ourselves naked, especially Mm. older people. I think it's important Mm. to represent people of all ages in their birthday suit, which I completely agree with. Yeah. (laughs) Everything she says, I'm always like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, agree. And I think we'll definitely talk more about that scene um, when we get into the spoiler section because I don't want to ruin that for anybody. Um, but yeah, that's, I think that that's absolutely true. And it's like, of a kind of the kind of things she was saying, even Mm -hmm. from, from, you know, deeper you dig where she's talking about, like wanting to represent herself on screen in her like natural beauty. Yeah. And I Um, love it. mm -hmm. I love it. All right. So in the past, they've kind of used anything that they already have to make their movies. So like they Mm -hmm. filmed in their own house. And this time the car that the family drives around in, in the movie is actually John's dad's 1931 Chevy. Cool. That is awesome. I know. So while they were making the movie, everyone was there for Christmas and I guess the grandparents live pretty – like, their house is not very far away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also in the Catskills. And so they put the Chevy on the back of a flatbed truck, which John's brother-in-law drove. John sat in the back filming while Toby and Zelda were in the Chevy acting. Oh, cool. Yeah. Very cool. So they had a little bit more money this time to pay for wood for the set and for clothing. But they still did everything themselves essentially, um, including building the sets, which Lulu helped out with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. um, What's, oh, I'm I'm assuming like at the carnival. Carnival. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So when I was reaching out to them on social media, I asked what the budget for the film was and they were cagey about it and wouldn't give me a direct Uh. answer. (laughs) They did say it's less than a Hollywood producer's suit. (laughs) Oh, you know what? That is amazing because this movie looks like a million right? freaking bucks i know like we're gonna get into it but mm-hmm. mm, that's <laughs> actually kind of shocking yeah because period filmmaking is automatically way more expensive i mean obviously they're very good at like using resources they have like you said the truck and stuff but like automatically that makes it way more expensive to source things like even for set design like having the right lamps and the right furniture and the right art and the right clothing like all of those things are not cheap so that is incredible yeah, I can't remember if it was The Deeper You Dig or Hellbender, but at one point I read that they made the film for like under $10,000, so. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, though, is like with Hellbender, it's mostly, it's one or two locations. The cast yeah. is like on one hand, you know. Right. But the, this one is very different. I mean, I'm guessing there's probably some movie magic with like the movie theater mm-hmm. at the beginning. Although, mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe that's in the Catskills and they have a connection and they have a friend. <laughs> right. a real, I would not be surprised. I would not be. As I'm saying this, I'm like, you know what? Probably this just comes down to them like having, you know, like deep roots in the community and there being resources yeah. there. But 
whatever, whatever they spent on it, <laughs> like they got their money's worth because the movie <laughs> they sure did. like a billion bucks. Yeah. The movie had a limited theatrical release starting on November 3rd, and then it hit VOD on November 7th, which is where you can watch it now. Their previous two films ended up on Shudder, but it was actually reported at one point that this one would be exclusively on Tubi. Um, But there hasn't been any information released about whether that's still true or what data it is. So for now, you can watch it on VOD. You can rent it for like under $4, so it's not a big investment and totally worth your time. Totally. So if you're wondering when they're going to make their next film. (laughs) Of course I'm wondering because I'm greedy and I want more and I want it right now. (laughs) Yes. So I don't actually have any release dates yet. But this past summer, they got an interim agreement with SAG-AFTRA during the strike. And they were able to spend two weeks filming a new feature called Fairy. And mm. if you happen to follow them on social media like we do, you would have seen some posters they or some pictures that they posted, including one with like um, a Silence of the Lamb style like face removal. Um, it looked very cool. I'm not sure exactly what's happening, but so I'm very excited. And then also Toby and John spent some time in Serbia recently directing a creature feature written by Lulu for Shudder. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. First of all, I cannot. Okay. I cannot wait to see like what. Like we've talked about how they have a harmony of voices. If Lulu wrote this, I can't wait to see what her note is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because it could be totally different. I'm super curious. The psychology major. (laughs) Yeah. I I know because the way feature features are too, like usually have such an emotional core. Yes. You know? Yeah. 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 Really interesting. Oh, I'm excited. Very, very cool. Me too. Needless to say, we will be covering it here on More Death. Oh, yeah. I wonder what fairy is about. Like, is it like the ferryman kind of thing? Mm. Mm. I'm not sure. There were some pictures of Lulu in the woods with like a guy with some kind of like animal head mask on too. So. Oh, full Corey. Yeah, yes. I'm not sure, but I'm very excited to find oh, out. For sure. For sure. It's going to be interesting and unlike yeah. anything else we've ever seen before. Yeah. <laughs> it always is. It always is. <laughs> Awesome. Well, as always, I love your thank you for doing such amazing research. Yeah. Um, you know, oftentimes when we do like we repeat directors, there isn't that much more right. to add. You know, we're always like, if you want to know more, go back, listen to this episode. But here's the basics. They are so busy. <laughs> I know. There's always new stuff I'm finding <laughs> about we, them. It, yeah. Like we get it's like the first time all over again, which is it speaks to, you know. Just how prolific they are and, you know. They're just fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk. We've talked about them. Let's talk about their art. Let's talk about what we thought about this movie. Now, I have so much to say about this. I don't know if you want to do yours first. I'm going to be <laughs> running my mouth for a hot minute. So oh, I will. Okay. I will leave it up to you. Um. Sure. All right. So, I mean, first, I just have to say again how much I love this family. And I love their outlook on life. 
And I think that they are so gutsy and so creative. And that always comes through in their films. I mean, I love The Deeper You Dig. I loved Hellbender. And I think I may even love this one more. But that could just be like a recency bias thing because I think all their films are so good. But this one to me feels like an evolution. I think that when you saw Hellbender, we could already kind of see that happening where there were things that they were like getting better at from The Deeper Mm -hmm. You Dig. And I feel like this time I can really see how much they've learned and grown in this one it feels like a step up both in the filmmaking and the artistic vision yeah um i just think this movie looks like you were saying before it is so beautiful and the fact that they're able to always have this kind of almost like gritty grimy diy feeling but yet it's still beautiful mm-hmm. like the fact that they can pull off those two things at once is the kind sacred of sacred and the profane it's yes. the sacred and the profane. Exactly. That's what it is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. hope that when somebody offers them a lot of money to make a movie that they don't lose that idea because I think yeah. it's so much of their vision. Yeah. You know? I also love the soundtrack for this movie. I think that they were completely right in picking more modern music to go mm-hmm. with this, you know, um, kind of depression era film that they made. And I sometimes hate when films are color graded, especially like if like another horror movie adds a crap ton of green to something, I'm going to scream. But (laughs) the blue gray look of this film is spectacular. It is so great. And all of the costumes are really amazing. And I just, I kind of just want to keep looking at it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's this really interesting combination of like a carnival period piece and kind of like serial killers and also a road movie, which I wasn't expecting and I really loved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but amongst all the murder and mayhem and the grit and the grime and everything, there is this loving exploration of found family and mm-hmm. it's really beautiful. I think that you're right that that's kind of the backbone to all of their films. But this one, the found family aspect to me, I thought was really moving because Maggie really takes on this sort of motherly role. And yet she's still like a badass who kicks people's ass and kills people. Uh, But we'll get into that in spoilers. (laughs) Um, I want to talk a lot about Maggie in spoilers territory. Oh, yes. Um, But... You know, it's like you've got all these, you know, carnival performers, but then also their little family unit. And we'll we'll talk about this more later, I'm sure. But just the idea that, like, everybody's kind of damaged in unique ways, but they're mm-hmm. not trying to fix each other. They just right. love each other and support each other. Mm-hmm. And that is really interesting to me because so many movies, we keep talking about this, where there's, like, these overwrought trauma narratives and sometimes that's really wonderful and beautiful but a lot of times it's about like getting somebody through that or -hmm. like fixing that and the idea of not fixing it and just supporting Mm -hmm. someone through it i think is really Mm -hmm. really beautiful Mm -hmm. also just the gore and the kills are really great and Mm -hmm. i got all the catharsis i craved from watching assholes and rich people get stabbed so it was fantastic (laughs) i really liked it i have a ton more to say but i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go (laughs) all right all right well okay first and foremost i agree with you i don't know how they did it but they managed to somehow top 
Or is it Big Top? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Dad joke alert. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm just I hate myself. My personality is the worst. Um but yeah, no, I really do feel like they top themselves yeah. with this film, which is actually incredible. It's this amazing slow burn, but it's like so utterly hypnotic mm-hmm. that I could not peel my eyes away from the screen. Well, that's not true. One time I I my body recoiled. Oh. And I had to I had to leave my body for about 30 seconds. Oh shit. Movie. I'm so curious to hear what that is later. It involves a screwdriver. Oh. 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 Okay. Yeah, okay. Anyway, literally every frame of this movie, and I mean every frame of this movie looks like a piece of art. Yeah. The use of color, like you said, the grading of it, but it's more than that. Mm -hmm. It's the way that color and its level of saturation is used to reflect where our characters are emotionally and where they are in terms of, you know, the plot and the, um, I don't want to spoil things, but like essentially like the color drains and the film becomes increasingly claustrophobic. Um, in this very period appropriate way with the use of vignettes yeah. that like show visibly the walls of the frame closing in as time and is running out for our characters and things are spiraling for our characters. And it's this totally inspired visual choice that both to- completely reinforces the film's themes and the character development and with the fil- like the time period that it's set in. Yeah, because it looks exactly like a film that would have been made in that time because of right. that. Right. Yeah. Like we get yeah, this opening scene that has those aesthetics and is black mm-hmm. and white. And then, but then we're like introduced to color and like more standard framing. But by the end, we're like back in this sort of enclosed space that looks like a film from the era. I don't know. I just thought that was brilliant choice. And then just sort of the use of light and dark throughout the film yeah. where there'll be like someone's face lit very very brightly and everything else is in the dark and you're just and what it does specifically I'm talking about the screwdriver scene like the way that it makes you have to look at that because it's the only thing that exists on the screen yeah like I think I had blocked that out yeah (laughs) yeah I mean it's just fantastic this I it is above a rope approach with the visual aesthetics I love all of the performance art that's happening in their mm-hmm. act and like those moments could be an album cover. And then the beautiful cover, like the, I saw the drone shots. We know that Zelda does those. I know. And they were really good this time. Oh, I feel like she's gotten stellar. so much better at all that yes. camera operating stuff. Cause yes. I was blown away. That looked like yes. highly professional to me. The production value of the yeah. setting and the cat skills and all of those trees that just like, the gothic reaching branches of the mm-hmm. naked tree. Like all of that is just spectacular. Like it's inspired visually. Like I've said before, like the movie feels incredibly cold externally, but in beautifully warm and domestic inside. There's these little moments where they're like freezing, but they're like talking about snoring or, or soup, making soup with a potato and an onion. And it feels so like warm and loving. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so like when they're doing these grotesque things like you cannot help but be totally unquestionably on their side because (laughs) you've fallen in love with them as a family and okay so I'm going to kind of touch on some things that you you did 
But like, yeah. I found myself thinking about the devil's reject. Like yes. I referred to that earlier. Ultimately, both of them are like at the centerpiece of these are these ideas of like a murderous family, right? Mm-hmm. Where as that film is like about exploitation and edgelording. Can you tell I'm not a fan? <laughs> <laughs> this one is about sort of the dark heart of the soul, you know, and the complexity of humanity. And it asks like, can monsters have a family? Can they truly feel love for another person yeah. while also doing the things that they do? And I think that what it comes away with is something you touched on, which is this idea that like, yeah, these people are fucking broken, man. Like they mm-hmm. have PTSD. They have something, you know, like there there is uh like in the case of Maggie, like she is a, like a, a killer. Like she has that part of her as well. And then, you know, with Eve, there's we don't totally know exactly what's going on there, but that does appear to be like some selective mutism, like those yeah. kinds of things. But instead of trying to fix those, like you said, they're not trying to like heal a broken part. They're accepting it and they're fine. This family finds a way to like fit their broken parts together like a broken puzzle piece. I know, Rachel, I'm about to cry right now because like, it's so oh, beautiful. I know. I know. I know. And it's like it reframes these ideas about the battle between good and evil because yeah. like the good is the family and what's inside the family and the evil becomes everything else. Yes. Oh God, I'm getting chills now. God, right. This is so good. <laughs> it's just such a good movie. And, yeah. you know, I know that some people may not like the kind of pacing of this movie or the way it's set up in kind of almost vignettes. It doesn't have a, a plot structure like some other movies. It's not you as may... traditional. Sure. Yeah, sure. it's not traditional, but it is so beautiful, so artistic, so creative, so mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. And the ideas at the heart of it like really are beautiful and touching if you give it yeah. a chance. You know? Yeah. And this movie is dense with ideas yeah. and meaning and symbolism. The way, like, yes, the tr- is the structure traditional? No. But, like, there's lots of movies that have traditional structure. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Really like, we want need. people to make new, original, fresh yeah. things. And this is what this family does. They excel at it. Yes. And it means, like, this non-traditional structure allows they're free to kind Mm -hmm. of reveal and unwind stories in a different way. Like, over the course of time, there's, like, these repeated motifs around, like, baby shoes or doll surgeries. And even though... In as they're being presented, they feel like these weird non sequiturs. By the end of the movie, yeah. they've laid out these breadcrumbs that are incredibly satisfying and profound, like reveal profound things about the characters or set up, you know, climactic things. Um, you learn at the end, while they seem maybe out of place, they really do ultimately give you really important information about the motivation of characters and their psyche that like in other movies you would have a way more overt or clumsy or info dump or monologue scene in this you get these tiny little things and then you understand what they mean and you're like oh shit okay got it this makes a lot of sense and it you start pulling pieces pulling these like puzzle pieces together by the end of the film so like it does require you to be an active participant in the watching of the film sure but like 
that's the fun of it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the why point. we're here. Yeah. Don't be passive. Engage in this film and you will be rewarded. In terms of the performances, Zelda is luminescent and literally needs no words to command the screen. Like just watching her observing and processing and wondering what's happening in that head is so compelling. I don't need her to speak. And it kind of speaks to this the origin of these like silent films, right? Like Yes. She is oh, a, exactly. It fits so mo- perfectly thematically because of that. Yeah. Yes, she's like a modern 1920s starlet, right? Yeah, well, like, especially because the only time we hear her speak is when she's singing, right? Yeah. And so many of those mm-hmm. silent films, it's like, that's what you got. I mean, not singing, but you got music, like yes. the organ playing alongside mm-hmm. it. I think it's so smart and just so cool, too, that that's the way she expressed herself and that her family is like so supportive of that. So John, who plays Seven in this, is unlike any of the characters we've seen him play before. And it's great to kind of get him to see him play this complicated, wounded, and yet really charming and a character that you kind of want to like, once you know more about him, you 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 like Maggie want to take care of this character. Like he's the pa- technically the patriarch of the family, but he's like very much the one that they're taking care of. Oh, yeah, Eve, too. Absolutely. But in a way that, like, really touches you. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so that was really fun to see. Like we said, it was really cool to see Lulu show up and make a very important, you know, in a very pivotal scene, we'll say. And then, of course, of course, my God, like, Toby Poser is so fucking incredible in this. She gets to like play in a way that we've never seen before. Like she was amazing in Hellbender and she was amazing as just like, uh, you know, this powerful wounded like mother in Deeper You Dig and like the complicated dynamics with her and Zelda's character in the, in, in Hellbender. But here she gets to play such a nuanced layered character. I think I've used this this um, metaphor before talking about them as filmmakers. I don't know, but mm-hmm. like it made me think of like Tuval singing, which is where like you're you singing on all of these different layers, like uh, octaves simultaneously uh-huh. if you ever listen to it because she is both warm and gentle yeah. and absolutely terrifying and sinister and menacing <laughs> so all at the exact good. same time. I'm thinking there's a dinner scene where she's so softly spoken mm-hmm. and like she's serving a dinner in like a very maternal way. And at the same time, you're fucking terrified. And that is incredible to get to see her work her craft like that. It's, yeah. ra- it's so much fun to watch because she's so She's scary. a powerhouse. Yeah. 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 Okay, last thing, the gore. My goodness, this movie is definitely, I think this is their goriest movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is gruesome and unflinching. I'm thinking of the Mr. Tips's act. I'm thinking of the screwdriver scene. I'm thinking of many of the death scenes. This thing is unflinching, and I love that the it appears to be practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get into more of that in spoilers because there are some death scenes we're going to need to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah. My sort of TLDR is that this is a spectacular piece of filmmaking and I cannot recommend it enough. Like I we I had a number one movie this year that was like I, I thought I was on fucking beatable. Like I was like first one of the first movies I saw this year, number one period, like this is the one to beat, nobody's gonna beat it. Bitch. I know. It's gonna be okay. I have to say 
this year in a lot of ways has been a little bit of a disappointment movie wise just because the temples yeah yeah mm-hmm. but there have been a few really mm-hmm. stellar ones mm-hmm. and it's going to be hard to pick mm-hmm. the the number one yeah but this know, might man. be it. <laughs> i don't know man like i think it's yeah i, I like i was kind of like eh, kind of waffling on a little bit on my top three mm-hmm. i don't know i think my top one I yeah it, uh, yeah like right at the end came in clutch <laughs> <laughs> all right so that is our non-spoiler review like i said i had a lot of thoughts and feelings and like normally i wait till after the spoiler to like really dig in but like i I worry that people are going to like, you know, I want you to like really get an idea of what you're getting into. So if you are someone who's going to leave now, because this is the spoiler warning that I'm doing right now. This is me vamping, letting you know. Yeah. You should grab your phone and hit the old pause button and go watch this and come back. And believe me, like, go watch this. Like, I don't know that I do think this has things that could really be spoiled, but I also think. I think you're going to enjoy it just as much, honestly, even with some of the stuff spoiled, because so much of it is like emotion and visual storytelling. Yeah, Yeah, I cannot spoil for you the beautiful shots that your eyes are about to take in. So there is that aspect. But yeah, I just really wanted to kind of talk about my feelings on the front end because I want to make it. I mean, and I just really want to support this family of filmmakers as much as possible because it's... Honestly, it can be sometimes few and far between to find really original creative movies and they are so good at making them and I just want to keep getting to see what's inside their brain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Good. Hard agree. Hard agree. All right. So that is it. That is the non-spoiler section of the film or of the review. So please, if you are spoiler adverse, hit the pause button. We're getting into the spoiler zone, starting with my synopsis, which honestly is not too spoilery because there's... It's hard, like, you can either be vague or super spoilery. Right. And so I went a little more vague. Okay, that's fine. Go for it. All right. So this film, like we said, is set in the Depression era and follows a group of sideshow performers who are traveling with a carnival and killing those who wrong them or, you know, they perceive to wrong them (laughs) uh, along the road. Sometimes they're very nice. Maggie! (laughs) Mistakes were made. (laughs) So Seven, Eve, and Maggie are not what you'd call a traditional family, but they are a family. One that is bonded by trauma, death, and their own unique moral code, for better or worse. Uh, Eve appears to be selectively mute, but sings in their act. Seven is a former military medic uh, who suffers from battlefield PTSD. And Maggie, uh, she has a bit of a dark and tragic past that has left her with a little bit of a lust for blood. (laughs) Also uh, in the sideshow is a man called Mr. Tips who has an artifact that serves as a deal with the devil. And when one of their killings go awry, Eve makes a plan to take it for herself. But there is a bit of a catch. Yup. (laughs) <laughs> so like i said i could give you a beat for beat kind of synopsis yeah. but like eh, i feel yeah. like this is so this much is of the movie done. is a vibe too like yeah, yeah i get yeah, it yeah 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 all right so we are in the spoiler zone that means there's mm-hmm. if there's anything we have not touched on that you're dying to like i don't know a dentistry by freaking screwdriver scene whatever you want to talk about um <laughs> i always this is forget your moment. how much like dental stuff freaks you out Whew. um Whew. 
Yeah, and then when he's doing it, I mean, I had, honestly, it's so darkly humorous at the same time, too, because it's horrific and it's shot in a way that you cannot look away. But also, he's blindfolded. <laughs> because every time he sees blood, he passes out. So, yeah, yes. they put this blindfold on him and, like, Eve is having to place his hands in the correct place while he hammers on the screwdriver to bust her tooth out. Oh, I mean, I... I, what I love is that this movie, it has such a vein of dark humor in it. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to balance sometimes humor with like a very sort of art house dark yeah. piece. But it, I feel like they nail it. Like this whole running gag of him fainting at the sight of blood. It's very, it's funny. It's dark. And then when you see the origin of it, it's just like so incredible. But it's also so shocking that I laughed. Like, I I think like in some ways it almost acts like it's not funny, but it acts like a comic beat because it's just so absurdly gruesome and so absurdly dark. Yeah, the way they break up tension in this movie, I feel like, is super creative and not mm-hmm. the norm, you know? No, it's pretty inspired, you know? Like, I, I I, suspect it probably mirrors their sense of humor. Like, I assume they yeah. have very dark sense of humor. Yeah, I think you kind of get that vibe, like, yeah. reading their interviews and talking to them, for yeah. sure. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, all of the gore in this movie, like you were saying before, it looks so good. And I think... Like, the majority of that they did with practical effects and just really clever editing. Mm Because if you watch it, like, the way those scenes are edited together and, like, when the camera is focused and when it cuts away is really, really smart. And it all looks so, so good. There is one CGI shot of smoke in a house that looks pretty not great. But other than that, I think the entire film (laughs) is amazing to look at smoke in the house i'm trying to remember yeah they I- set a house on fire and there's like smoke coming out the windows but it's very clearly cgi it's like a oh. 10 second shot it's not a big i missed deal. it i'm just I saying i missed it i believe you i just missed it yeah um but i mean like <laughs> mr tips snipping off his fingers ah! Ah! so cool and so gnarly yeah. i love it so much like i want to see that act in person but also the arm cutting off scene mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. the rotting flesh yeah. Have the sewn back on body parts. Grotesque. Yeah. Grotesque. Yeah. And so cool looking. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, this film blends all of these really cool genres as well. Like you yeah. said, it's a road movie, but also it has that kind of like this, what is it? Something wicked this way comes kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I love how it sort of played like American mythology is like yeah. this carnival stuff, right? Like, oh, yeah. And it plays in this sort of. This mythology we have around carnies and around like the of, mystery of it, you know, and this time period. Like, yeah. I love that show Carnival because I do right. feel like one of the things that draws me to things like full court, and I feel like carny whore is American full court, mm-hmm. um, yes, is this I idea totally that there are still some places that are untouched by modernity where magic can still exist. And carnivals is one of those places. And I love the idea that it blends this sort of supernatural aspects of like an American folk hotel with sort of a like, you know, uh, like um, an American monster, which is like a serial killer, right? Yeah. It's just a very cool mishmash of genres. Oh my gosh. And the poem that they start the movie out with and then keep repeating different lines for throughout it. 
So cool. Like, they're just such amazingly creative people. Like, look, I'm not an expert on poetry <laughs> by any means. So maybe I don't know. It's you not... wrote a nine page paper today. <laughs> so maybe you are now. <laughs> but to me, I thought that was beautiful and fascinating, yeah. set the scene so well. And then each time they brought back like little lines from it, it was just perfect. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there's definitely like some pulling from biblical things. Oh, like the yes. fact that the character's name mm-hmm. is Eve. I, of course, tried to go down a rabbit hole and figure out what all of the meaning of all of their names. And maybe they do. But like, I was like, seven, seven deadly sins, Eve. And then I was like, okay, Maggie. I was like trying to Google it. And apparently, here's what I learned. Maggie, uh, it comes from the Greek. And it has something, it's like the word for pearl, but also like, what about like Mary Magdalene? Wasn't that something? Mary Magdalene's interesting. Also, the Magi could be right. maybe what we're getting okay. at here. I don't know. I know that I have I I have gone <laughs> from tinfoil hat to tinfoil jumpsuit. Like I understand that, <laughs> but, but no, like, I, I love was definitely I love the down Eve a rabbit idea. hole. And I yeah. mean, they do dress her in like a very virginal white dress and have her literally in angel wings at the end. You know. Well, and also, like, there is some sort of idea about like making a human that like from yeah. the you know she's made from the rib right and at the end that's sort of a frankenstein like story mm-hmm. and at the end we have kind of like a frankenstein moment yeah where she like takes the pieces of her family that are left to create like one person you know which i love that it's like this payoff mm-hmm. for this doll that she's been sewing yep. together like so you understand how her mind works so that when like her family is in literal pieces of course the thing she's going to go back to is sewing together to make right. to make it you know yes because when you're seeing her in these scenes and you're seeing seven like give her advice about like where to chop and like what's the smart way and stuff you think it's almost just these scenes of the family just saying kind of showing you what the family is like and it does that it definitely builds mm-hmm. like your rapport with the family and kind of shows you how close they are and how loving they are and stuff but also yeah it sets up beautifully why she does what she does at the end it's super mm-hmm. smart and it's it's like such a i don't know the moment is it's a haunting and beautiful and heartbreaking and grotesque moment that is yeah. like perfectly encapsulates everything that is great about this movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> is the way that it is it it like thematically and like uh plot point wise and i so like she, it literally stitches all of these I- ideas and these um these themes and these emotions together yeah. in a way that is like it's, and then visually you're just like it's such a slap. It's so cool. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's such a great final image to end the movie on. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. And I just love how, like you were saying, there is a Devil Rejects vibe to this, but it's yeah. so different at its core because oh, yeah. of this family relationship. And mm-hmm. I love that, like, we were saying that, you know, Maggie is this sort of den mother almost to the whole carnival crew, but she'll also, like, Mm -hmm. bang their heads together if they're arguing or whatever. And (laughs) she's also, like, very loving mother matriarch to Eve and, you know, to to Seven, but she's also this, like, brutal protector and also, like, a murderer with real bloodlust and an anger problem. Yeah. It's so great. And I also love that Seven does things for her too. Like he's not this just like wounded puppy that she's taking care of. Like he's part of what drives her, but also kind of pulls her back from some of her worst instincts. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, 
it's really, really beautiful. I love it so much. And there's also so much humor. Like you were saying, the scene yeah. with the guy that she thinks is German. Yeah. She's <laughs> ends up killing him because she thinks she's protecting Seven, like standing up for yeah. Seven, avenging Seven because of what he went through in the war. And then it turns out he's not even German. And the way I they know. react is like, it's so matter of fact and so funny. But I also yeah. just love that like Eve is the one who like covers up his eyes because she right. knows like this isn't going to be, you know, good for him to see. Right. Uh, it's so great. Maggie has this line at one point where she says there's a special place in hell for thieves and I run it. Yes. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Like they're so good at writing little bits of dialogue like it's not a dialogue heavy movie and neither of or uh, any of their movies really no but when they do say things like it's meaningful it's powerful it's funny it's -hmm. so great and i just love having a female protagonist who is older who's not wearing a ton of makeup doesn't have filters has gray hair but also her character itself is like super imperfect yeah. I mean, I there's moments of uh, the one of the most humanizing things happens after she kills the I think he's like Swedish or Norwegian, the Scandinavian mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Where she's like, I'm not ignorant. Like, it's yeah. just you you get in some insight into like a very human insecurity that she has. You know, like, I think we could we could build her up in such a way that, you know, like her. Yes, she's a killer and that's a flaw. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, it's these little tiny, like, foibles that are so human that make Maggie feel like a whole person in Mm. in a way that you don't necessarily expect. And it's such a small, subtle little thing. But I loved it because I felt like, oh, I know something about who Maggie is and the thing that, like, the internal struggle that she has and, like, things about maybe how she was raised and, like, then you put it in the context of the era. She's probably illiterate. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little thing that allows your brain to just kind of do this, like, rapid-fire backfill about who this person is. And it's the smallest little detail. But I feel like it's profound yeah it is and i feel like they do they manage to do that with all three of the main characters Mm -hmm. so that by the end of the film you really do feel like you understand them individually and the way their dynamics work within the family yeah yeah i mean like i love that scene the snoring scene where they're like cute it's just such a beautiful like you don't think in the carnival road serial killer movie slash you know Mm. packed with the devil movie that there is going to be a sweet moment where the three of them are laying there having like you're snoring i'm not snoring like and have it land and feel it's so intimate and so touching in a movie that does all these other kind of wild things yeah. Well, there's all these like touches of domesticity, like yeah. her, like you said, the soup or her doing laundry by the water, like yeah. all of these moments, you get this idea of how, not just how they function when they're doing the, like the killing or whatever, like, oh, everybody has to make sure dad's eyes are covered. But like, you see how they function as a family. Mm-hmm. And I, that is definitely not something that you get in a devil's reject. No. Right? You know what I mean? <laughs> no. Like, though, but those quieter, quote unquote, boring moments of life enrich the the characterization and like make you invest in them in a way that you wouldn't otherwise like right i think you absolutely have to have that you have to have those moments in order for the themes to ring true and for you to really feel that love in this family you need that stuff and it's what makes that final beat not feel like 
some weird exploitative shock value yes, moment. Like you're exactly. like, it's such an earned moment because you see how they function as a family and the love and the normalcy that is there. Yeah, and, and like, why this would have made, been the, the choice that made sense to Eve. And why she needed that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're like, yes. yes, I get it. I see why someone would go to these extremes. And I could see why it's, like not tragic and why both the parents as well you know like all of that stuff makes sense because you see how enmeshed and how connected these people are yeah yeah fuck this movie's good <laughs> i know <laughs> it's so good and i read some people like complaining about yeah. the kind of vignettes and that it it doesn't have a straightforward plot and like not to be rude but i don't give a shit <laughs> it doesn't matter to me like i just love this movie so much and i think yeah like we were saying you need those plot beats this movie is like i know that meandering is usually like a negative word but i really don't mean it to be negative here because i feel like in the kind of meandering way that we go through this road movie you get so many fun moments so many beautiful touching moments so many moments yeah. of this family coming together that that's what I wanted out of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just no. think it works in this film and it just, not every movie like has to have a traditional story arc. Like I think we need to get past that people. Right. I think that you, there's a version of this movie that is very standard in its, yeah. stru its structure and like where these things, like you cut out all of these like interstitials of them being strange, you know what I mean? And you make it like yeah. four days of them on the road during this and like, by cutting down the timeline, you could like make it more traditional, but that feels so pedestrian compared to what we right. got. What we got is art. Yeah. It, I mean, so beautiful. I know. So beautiful. No, I was just thinking about like the candle lighting and stuff like when she's I in know. Mr. Tips's tent. Like, Oh my gosh. Those scenes in his tent or that scene in his tent is so, so cool. Good. There is such great like on-screen chemistry between the two, even though yeah. Eve says nothing. Yeah. It's amazing what Zelda is able to do with no lines. She's got the twinkle yeah. in the eye. Yeah. 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 There's a, she's, even though she's not speaking, like there is a, she's so alive in her expressions mm -hmm. and in her eyes. And you can see her like take, what it is, is it feels almost dangerous. Even though yeah. he, he has the power of this like regeneration and he is the adult and physically quite a bit, bit larger than her and all of those things. There's such an intelligence and like behind those eyes, she's absorbing everything that you're like, dude, you don't even know. Yeah, you don't know you what don't power even you just know. handed this young woman. Yes. you told and, her your secret. Yeah. And you feel it. Like, oh, he yeah. doesn't know that he does not have the upper hand. But <laughs> yeah. we as an audience yes. do. And oh I love God. that. I, oh and of God. course, that's Maggie's daughter. You know what I mean? Like, yes. you don't even know. Like, <laughs> She doesn't Ugh. speak. Her mother is soft spoken. You, but these are not people you want to cross. Yeah, and um, and I, and I, I mean, that's cathartic, right? Like, because I think the reason I like watching things like Jessica Jones, where like these women are mm -hmm. like powerful, like damaged but powerful, is like yeah. so much of life. You don't feel as safe in the world as you want right. to and for her to have this quiet strength and to know that she's not in danger because she's the danger and mm -hmm. there's something very wish fulfillment about that yeah yeah i mean between like maggie just killing like shitty people and i mean mm -hmm. not always like she kills the one innocent person but yeah. 
you know, no one you know, like right. It, for the majority of the time, she's killing people where you're kind of rooting her on a little bit, or at least I was. But yeah, between that and the the scenes with Eve, and also like the nudity that we get from like that scene with the where they're coming out of the tent and they like run to skinny dip in the water. Yeah, like, yeah. I just feel like there is so much emotional catharsis in that movie. And that Mm -hmm. even the scene of seeing these like middle-aged people just like running naked to the water and there's Mm -hmm. no body double and there's no, you know, special filter or anything. There's something, yeah, cathartic and like a relief about it. I don't know. And it's there's like a bravery in them doing it because nobody does really. I know. And the thing is, is... It's so sad that you say that. But I, know. It's true. <laughs> I know. But the thing sucks. is, is like this is the kind of de- like it's subtle destigmatization yes. work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think she and does powerful. that in all of her movies. You know mm-hmm. that Toby Poser really—that's like a mission statement for her. Mm-mm-mm-mm. They did it again, girl. They I did know. it again. How do you top Hellbender? <laughs> like, I don't know. How so do you top the, the deeper you dig? I got a little bit afraid that because <laughs> yeah. We had built that movie up so much because we like loved it so much and also built the family up because I just I really have a lot of respect for them as a family and also as artists. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people fall from grace so easily (laughs) in this movie. When you love something, you're excited for the next thing, but inevitably there's some disappointment. You know what I mean? And yet somehow they've managed to, I think because it's a combination of like growth as filmmakers, Mm -hmm. but also like going in a totally different direction. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's different enough that like you can see sort of similar DNA in the films, but they feel like very different films. Yet they also feel very much like they're in the same universe. Like I feel like they all, like the Hellbender lives in the world of... Just uh, decades later. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, no, they're like, uh, yeah, they've been around forever, right? Like, but they're in the area as well. Like, it doesn't, and the deeper you dig, like ghosts, those kinds of things all, and the, Yeah, and like you were saying, those aesthetic choices that they made in the surrealistic scenes and deeper you dig absolutely feel like they inspired what happens in this movie. And I feel like there is like a an Adams averse. <laughs> yeah, all of these things like they're not like there's no Easter eggs aside no. from like the the clown makeup, right? But yeah. like you could see like they're building a world where all of these sort of things could coexist. Yeah, um, and I think that's really fun and interesting. It's a very cool world to get to visit every few years. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. just can't wait to see what else they're able to make because even if it's not. Like, even if it's not as perfect as we're thinking this one is, like, they're just so creative. Yeah. And I'm dying to see what else they can pull together. Yeah. You know? I want to, I'm excited to see what is their next monster movie look like? Mm-hmm. What is that? Whatever the fairy is, like, what, what is their take on whatever genre they're right. be exploring next? Because I feel like, at the very least, I mean, eventually they're going to make a movie we like less. You know what I yeah, mean? Sure. I, that's because ultimately it's subjective, right? It doesn't mean it's not, not as good a movie, but like maybe it won't hit the same way. Yeah. But what I do know is that it will be incredibly creative and that it will be something I have not seen before. And that by itself is exciting. Like, I don't yeah. have to love it to appreciate it i hope i love it <laughs> i want to love it but like what i can count on them to do is make interesting films right. that will be thought provoking and <laughs> aesthetically rad <laughs> yeah i mean 
<laughs> you know, I think it is rare for a filmmaker, let alone like a group of filmmakers to have yeah. such a kind of signature DNA and yet yeah. have the movies all be really different. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. They are very, very, very exciting filmmakers. And mm -hmm. like in a year where, where like I think the strike, all of those kinds of things like really disrupted it. And we haven't had as like maybe as many films that really connected with us. Um, getting to have this at the end has just been like a real treat and a reminder of why this genre is endlessly fascinating yeah. and exciting. Um, and I loved it. I loved it. Me too. I absolutely, and I'm so <laughs> glad because I, I went into it like I'm nervous, but I want and right. I but I really want to love this. And then like I, they made it impossible for me not to because yep. <laughs> it's just so fucking good. <laughs> It's so fucking good. Uh, it's funny. Like John uh, was putting together, like he's putting together the end of the year list for bloody good horror. And he sent over to me and I was, he was like, did I miss anything? And of course, you know me, I'm like, well, there's these 19 obscure movies I need to add to the list. But I was like, next to this one, I was like, this one has to go on the list. Yeah. <laughs> like if you don't put any of the rest of them on there, this one has to go on there. Every year we've managed to like disrupt their top 10 somehow. Oh I yeah. Like this I think might this, be the one this, one. this is the one. Not because it doesn't belong there but because like I, it's come so late yeah i'm wondering i kind of hope it makes it on tubi in time because what i think is really interesting with the tubi choice is that it's so accessible like you right. had to you have to have shutter to watch hellbender and like we're freaking horn nerds so of course we have shutter but not everybody does right and tubi is free so everybody can like this is so accessible that I think that's really exciting. So hopefully people will be like, oh, this is the Hellbender people. Oh, it's on Tubi and they'll get a chance to watch yeah, it. Yeah, I really hope um, so too. I mean, I could gush for another hour. Yeah, but. I mean, honestly, at this point, I don't really have anything but more gushing to do. And yeah. like, I think we've made our point. I think that, so too. Yeah, so <laughs> we probably can wrap it on up. Final thoughts, anything we didn't touch on that you would hope to discuss about this? Oh, just really quick. This is such a tiny, tiny moment in this film. I don't even okay. know if it's worth talking about. But you know how Hellbender treated periods in like a really cool, mm. interesting, mm -hmm. totally different way? Yeah. This movie does not do that. But there is a scene where like yeah. Eve brings um, her kind of like, you know, fabric made into a pad for her to like wash out, for Maggie to wash out. And I just feel like there is still something kind of revolutionary about treating it so matter-of-factly and yeah. showing the blood on screen. Yeah. I mean, like, we talk about destigmatization work. Yeah. Like, what is more stigmatized than fucking menstruation? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's like, is it a necessary? Does it come back? Is it, like, significant beyond showing the dynamic and the closeness and the, like, enmeshment of the family? Mm -hmm. No. But it does, it does get at that ethos that they have about, like. Yeah, like, just how feminist they are, you know? Yeah, it's fucking rad. And it's it. radical. And I love it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you brought that up. All right, awesome. So how about you guys at home? What did you think? Did you love this movie as much as I and Ariel did, or are you wrong? You can drop us a line. <laughs> Just, like, insult the listeners. No, <laughs> no, I have faith in the listeners, because I know that they are people, also people of taste and sophistication. Good they're point, here, good aren't point. they? Good point. Right? Yes, I love yeah, them. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I'm talking to literally no one, because they all know what's good. Um, <laughs> you can email us at rachel at zombiegirls.com. Or you can come chat with us over on the Zombie Girls Facebook page. And as always, you can slide into the DMs at ZG Podcasts on Instagram, Twitter, and Threads. Uh, if you are enjoying the show, 
you can support us. I mean, obviously you don't have to, but we would love it if you would rate and review us on wherever it is that you're getting this pod. Uh, yeah. You- can I just say, you sure. guys, I'm a little bit disappointed that I put out this offer to have Rachel read your review on air in a silly accent and nobody has taken me up on this. Come on, go over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review hey. so I can make Rachel do it. Maybe maybe it's having the reverse effect. They're like, we don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's fair you don't want that <laughs> uh but yes do please rate and review us um if you're enjoying the show if you're not then don't worry about it <laughs> right. you can sit this one out <laughs> yeah definitely if you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight because you've already watched the uh where the devil roams uh because my god if you haven't baby what are you doing get into it uh, you should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com and if you want to support us a couple of other ways you can do that is by buying some of our merch at uh, zombiegirls.com forward slash merch or you can join our patreon uh it's pretty dope lots of cool stuff happening there you get bonus episodes you get extended episodes like today where we're going to be talking about real life oh killers oh oh my god i'm so excited girl it was not hard to put this together (laughs) i was like carnival real life killer oh damn okay i am really excited because i don't know anything about this so okay good well see then if you guys want to know about it too you should join our patreon and get the extended episode you also get bonus episodes we also should probably start teasing our we have our hall our christmas special coming up very soon we're going to be doing a crossover with our very very good friends who we love so much at trick-or-treat radio so uh that will be airing live on december 23rd Hi, everyone. It's Ariel. I'm just interrupting to say that Rachel actually meant to say that our live show will be on Friday, December 22nd at 6 p.m. PT. On the day of, we're going to post the link to the live show on our Discord, on Patreon, and on social media. So keep an eye out. Hope to see you there. Okay, back to the show. You got all the details where and when to watch it, but you're going to want to because those guys are hilarious. And yeah. I feel like anytime we get Raven Shadow and Ariel in the same room, it's going to be I a good time. I am very excited because I sadly missed last year's crossover yeah. episode. So I didn't yeah. get the experience and I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Krampus night. <laughs> do. So do not miss that. All right. So Ariel, up yes. next is your turn. What are we covering on the next episode of Modele? All right. So we don't have any new movie that we like need to cover for the next one. So I'm going back, back, back in time. Oh. And we are going to be reviewing The Velvet Vampire from Ooh. 1971. Directed Sounds by sapphic. <laughs> <laughs> directed by Stephanie Rothman. Okay. And let me read you the synopsis. Lee and okay. his wife, Susan, accept the invitation of mysterious Diane to visit her secluded desert estate. Tensions arise when the couple, unaware that Diane is a vampire, realize that they are both objects of the pale temptress's seduction. I knew it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so this one should be fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I also, I mean, what's so amazing is that there are like this year has been in really great for this. Just like so many movies directed by women to yeah. the point where sometimes we're like making really tough choices about which ones we're covering, which ones we're not. But like it's going to be fun to kind of harken back to an era of like the trailblazers. The, yeah. The people that, you know, really were outliers that helped, you know, create the opportunities down the line that 
made it so that we have a situation where we have like an embarrassment of riches and we can't decide what to cover. I'm really excited. Also, the poster has a woman holding up like two heads, which is very cool. And it says on it, climax after climax of terror and desire. Oh my God. (laughs) It's going to be a full more deadly after dark next (laughs) year. Exactly. I am excited. I wonder where, how do we get our hands on it? Just watch. I'm going to look and see if it's streaming anywhere so that people can play. Oh yeah. Good call. It is on Tubi, my friends. Okay. So you can definitely play along. Also, apparently, I just discovered like three new streaming services I never heard of. Oh, so dear God. <laughs> everybody, get to Tubi. Get to, unless you have AMC Plus, check out Velvet Vampire because we will be covering that on the next episode. All right. Unless you were sticking around for the extended episode, that is it for us today. So, Ariel, take us out. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another episode of More Deadly. We had such a good time talking about Where the Devil Roams. I really hope you guys go and see this film and love it as much as we do. We would love to hear from you if you go and see it. And uh, that's it. Come back here next time for The Velvet Vampire. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks to everyone for listening. And thanks to my co-host, Ariel, who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Missman Rucker. And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell. Hello, everyone, and welcome to More Deadly After Dark. Thanks for episode. Ariel. And it really is dark out. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely is because it is late and I got soup waiting for me in the instant pot. So, oh my God. Yeah. Every time <laughs> I've had to get up to like turn off a heater or something, I had to smell that soup and it smells so good. That sounds so good. I just, I love picturing you eating soup. It warms my heart. <laughs> this one is a potato and leek soup. So. Ooh, yum. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's super good. Put a little sour cream in the middle. Mwah. <gasps> That Perfection. sounds good. You need to send me all of your new Instant Pot soup okay. recipes. I need new soup recipes. Oh, I've got some goodens. I have got some bored. good soup recipes, my friend. Good. <laughs> I make a really good buffalo chicken one. Oh, okay. That's spicy and potato y and carroty. Sounds good. I'm hungry. Me um, too. <laughs> okay. So, can we just say, like, this is. This episode was so much fun. Yeah. It it was so fun. I've been like dying to see this movie forever. I managed to resist finding out how you felt about it before. So there was a chance you wouldn't like it, but it was, (laughs) I'm so glad you did. Yeah. So that we could gush, 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 because, ugh, what a treat. What a treat. I know. That was a fun one. That was a really fun one. All right. So here's the thing. Obviously, the, the sort of central premise of this is about these like carnies or sideshow people who are uh, getting the murder on. Yeah. And as they say, sometimes life, she be in- imitating art and art be imitating life. And uh, I got to tell you, it was not hard to put together this extended episode <laughs> because carnies be a killing. That's so crazy. <laughs> uh, I've narrowed it down to three stories. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm very excited. It's interesting because, so (laughs) my only exposure to like the idea of a carny when I was a kid was The Simpsons. Uh Uh-huh. Do you remember that carny episode? 
Uh, and the carnies like take like, over their house. They like go to the carnival, and then the carnies like take over their house. I don't think I've seen this episode. You oh, know, I have okay. a sp- place in my heart for carnies, but yeah. uh, I famously my first love. Was- <laughs> <laughs> you know, I know. <laughs> but then um, I went to a carnival. We used to spend every summer in Montana. We'd like road trip up there because we have family, and there was a carnival going on. So I went with my cousins, and I didn't think that like the carnies of that you would see on tv were like real until i went to this carnival and you were like oh yeah it was like (laughs) (laughs) it was like caricatures of carnies but they were real people that's awesome that's actually kind of awesome it was great (laughs) here's the most important question though okay you go to a carnival what is your go-to carny snack or carnival snack Oh, that's a good question. I do love a funnel cake. Uh, you know, I've never had a funnel cake. What? I've smelled them, but I've never actually put one in my mouth. Interesting. Like, I associate them with Great America, which is our local amusement yeah. park. And like, I always went as like a, te- you know, a preteen and yeah. a teen and I never had any money by the end of the day. Right. And so like everybody would be lining up at the end of the day to get the funnel cake. So I would smell it, but I could never actually get it. Yeah. So okay. it's like the forbidden it. treat. But everyone says <laughs> that they're like only good for a couple bites. So they I are. You like... got to eat it real fast. Or and they I don't want to do that. Lame. Um, like, I feel like it probably has a donut thing where like the first few bites are good and then you're like, you think you want more and then you're <laughs> sad that you ate more because then you feel yeah. gross. That might be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like fried anything, I'll, I'll give that a go. But yeah, um, I also really like dip cones. What's dip cone? You know, like an ice cream cone, but they dip it in the chocolate. Oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. Those are good. I love yeah. those. Yeah. That was like when I was a little kid, mm-hmm. my dad would occasionally take me to Foster's Freeze to get a dip. Ooh. Yeah. And I could never finish it, but it, and it was so messy, but it was like one of the few <laughs> like things my dad and I would do. That's like, adorable. Yeah. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Now I really want a dip cone. Yeah. <laughs> you should go get one. 